I might be thinking, well, why didn't he just pray and start preaching? Because I like the book. <laughs> I just wanted to see it. It's pretty cool. Well, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12 and we work our way through this letter that James wrote to these uh, Jewish believers. Page 1207, if you're using the Bible there in the chairs. As you do, I, I had two thoughts uh, run through my mind as I was uh, prepping for this message this morning, this morning through the message. Prepping during the week for the message this morning. I wasn't prepping this morning for the message this morning. A little more, a little more time into the message this morning. Um, one's related, one's not related. So I'm going to give you unrelated to the series one. And that's this. I don't know about you, but I love our church family. You guys may not, but I do. Um, you guys are awesome. It is I grew up in a church, okay? I've always been around church. <clears throat> and I've always wanted to be a part of a church that is doing all aspects of what God has designed a church to do. And I really feel like Grace Point, we've been four years into this, over four years now, that culture is growing and developing in our church family. By, by that I mean this, that the, the church is caring for the church. That's how God designed it. You guys, we are caring for each other. And that's how God designed it. That's how God wants it to be. It's not just the pastor running around like a chicken was it about doing everything. You guys are doing what God's called you to do as follows of Christ being part of our church family. And he's honoring us by having people come to Christ. And, and those people who are coming to Christ are growing in their faith as other Christians, not just the pastor, comes around them and encourages them and helps them and reminds them, walks through that sometimes tedious and it's like, it's, you know, we talk about this a lot, like a spiritual baby. You know, sometimes spiritual babies, human babies, physical babies, they poop, right? In their diapers. It happened when I was watching Ollie one time and I'm like, now what do I do? And then Ollie walked in. So, <laughs> again, that's what we do here at the church, right? I have somebody come to me, it was a mess. I ended up with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I always talk about, I feel like I'm a, I'm a triage, you know, doctor, and emergency room type of thing. I deal with people, I help people, hopefully, and then I kind of hand them off. Somebody else has gone through what they've gone through, but have come through that, I hand that person off, and they encourage and help, and I'm always there. And I help out as well. Um, there's the other funny story about Ollie. I don't need to tell a story about my grandson, but I'm going to. Kim and I were watching one day, and she's like, I said, I think, I think he might have, you know, we're playing, you know, I think he might have gone in the shorts. Kim flips him over, opens up, and it was just everywhere. <laughs> Run him over to the shower. Get the shower, closing this kid down. Oh, anyways. So glad <laughs> I passed that. I'm not even sure why I brought that. <laughs> anyway, I'm just uh, thankful for, to God for you guys. And for what God's doing in and through. And I know those who, have, who are um, the, the church family is walking alive alongside of others in our church family. It's exciting to watch them excited about their faith again. And now they're seeing, oh, hey, this is what it, this is what you mean by having this energized spiritual life where you're going to God for things and God's working and doing things. And yeah, it's not always easy. A healthy church is a messy church. And so, People have things that they're working through. And so believers, you who have been believers for a long time, 
And if your faith is kind of like, well, maybe it's time for you to take that step of faith, connect it with some younger believers, we can challenge you a little bit. And put you in a spot where you're coming before God for help and wisdom and discernment, where you can share your word with those people and what God has done in your life. And uh, it's just really cool to see. The other one's related <clears throat> in this way. It's about trials, which we're talking this week and last, and, uh, last week and this week. Uh, anxiety in God's word. And here's the deal. More than ever, I don't know why, but more than ever, we're hearing people who deal with anxiety. People are voicing their anxiety. They're putting things up on Facebook. They're sharing it. They're voicing it. In the past, you didn't, you know, growing up, when I was a kid, I don't remember our parents talking about it being anxious. And, you know, I, I just remember that conversation. But today, it, it is what it is. It's funny. Um, when people are doing that more and more, including Christians. And so I just felt like, man, I, I just need to say this. It's nothing new. But no matter what the, the depth or intensity of the anxiety that you feel, uh, it all comes down to, if you break all the different circumstances around to what the anxiety is, it's really a fear of, of not being in control of your circumstances. That's really what it comes down to. Whatever your issue is, it's down to that. I'm not in control. I realize I'm not in control there. And so they start getting anxious, nervous. You start wondering, worrying. Oh, Bring your hands. You know, it's just, again, I, I'm a person that's dealt with those times in my life. So, people instantly go to medicine. And, and again, medicine might be a good thing to get you overcome. But what's going to keep you moving, what's going to keep giving you freedom from that, what's going to continue to move your mind and your heart towards the right thinking, is daily doses, and sometimes maybe heavy doses of God's word in your life. That's, this becomes the medicine, the medicine for our minds and for our hearts. Only God can penetrate the, the mind and the spiritual aspect of anxiety that comes our way. And as you do that, what you're going to learn is this. The God who willingly died for you has you securely in his hands in this life. There is nothing coming down the pike that's going to impact your life that he hasn't allowed for his good reasons, for your good benefit. He's got you securely in his hands. But you need to be in God's word so God can show you that change the way you think and change your fear into faith and certainty in who he is. So get in his word, spend time with him, need help with that, I'm here for you. If you need help with that, there's other people in our church family who's there for you to walk through that with you. That's what God desires. That's what we're kind of talking about. So, so James, a faith that walks, we're kind of nailing that here in the last two weeks, and we have this overriding truth that we'll see throughout James, and we need to keep this in our heads, that our works don't save us. We can't, we can't, we're going to learn about it again through 16 and 18 of this chapter, that we can't do anything to save ourselves. We can't do anything to bring the spiritual life, the birth spiritual life in us that we need. So our works don't save us, but our works show if we're saved. If you've been a person who God has saved and he has uh, birthed you and given you spiritual life and his Holy Spirit is in you, you will change. 
you will become a different person. It may not move as fast as you want it to move, but it's going to happen. There's going to be change. You can't stop God. He's 100% committed to your maturity. And, and so he's going to do, and a lot of times these trials are what cause that. It's one reason why we have what we have for our mission as a church. We want people to discover the truth about our world, about who we are, about God, about his word. We want people to know the truth. And then when they know the truth, we want them to decide on Jesus because he is the ultimate truth. And that he is the one who secured our salvation. That he's freed us from the power of sin for eternity. We don't have to go to hell. And he's freed us from the power of sin in this earth and this impact in our lives, which we're going to be talking quite a bit about this morning. And then we demonstrate change. We begin to think like him. We begin to act like him. It's not going, yeah, I think God wants me to do that. I think God. No. I know God wants me to do this. Because of what? I've been in his work. So our minds begin to change and our actions begin to change. We see God moving. And again, James is huge with this. And then deploy for others. That we then see, okay, so if God's doing this in my life, now he wants me to serve others in my church family. And so we're going to take that step of faith. We'll get ourselves involved serving one place or another. If you're a follower of Christ and you're not serving your church family, God says you should. And so, you know, I can't, I'm not going to get guilty into it. <laughs> I'm just going to give you the truth. All right? Is that guilty? By saying No. You need to be serving your church family. And then you're going to be sharing your faith. Why? Because God's going to be working in you and the people who are doing these microgroups, I'm telling you, I'm talking to them. And they are so excited about their faith again. They're, they're just like, man, and, this was, and then this was happening, and then we did it, we talked about this, and they got it. They're going to they're gonna share that when they get outside of the church walls and share that with other people. And so we demonstrate change, third part of our mission statement, if you want to call it, we demonstrate a change most often through how we face Christ. So last week we looked at this idea that um, this word parismus, parasmus, however you say that. I'm not, I'm not ancient Greek. Um, I'm a modern American boy. Anyways, uh, it's a, you know, it means, it can mean one of two things. It could be trial, or it can mean temptation. Trial, something that proves our faith, or shows our faith, or tests our faith. Or it can mean temptation, entice somebody to sin. It can mean both, and, and the, uh, the context would tell us that. So James 1, 1 through 11, we talked about last week. We understand in that, those verses, actually carrying into chapter, or verse 12, he's talking about trials. <clears throat> verse 3 tells us that. Testing of your faith. Where are you at? How are you doing? Are you trusting God or are you not trusting God? Are you, are you going strong for God or are you being, you know, kind of falling back? And so, James kicks off and he tells us, hey, here's how you face trials. Here's how you do that. You do it with joy because you're having greater and greater confidence in God. It's an opportunity to grow your confidence in God. So trials, we have to understand, they produce spiritual maturity. That's what we talked about last week. A deeper dependence on God. A quicker obedience. Because you know, okay, this, this is God working, allowing in my life in order for me to grow spiritually. You provide this opportunity to receive wisdom from God. What does God think about this? How does God want me to respond? What's the best way to approach this trial that I'm facing? We don't have that, by the way, without God's Word. Because wisdom is applying God's Word to our circumstances. So we have to be in God's Word to know what God's Word says in order to apply it to the circumstances. They give us proper perspective on life. And James uses one of those areas of greatest concern and anxiety for us, and that's our finances. 
And then here's how you respond to our financial support. If you don't have as much as you think you should, you should have, here's how you respond. If you had a, a bunch of money and lost it, here's how you should respond. And then talk about the idea that, man, we need to evaluate, adjust, and respond. Again, it's just something I can together. But this idea of, okay, when you're going through a trial, you need to evaluate. How am I doing? Am I trusting God? Do I know what God's word says about this? Am I trusting him? And if you're like, man, I don't think I am. Because you'll know if you're not, because there will be a sense of confidence in that trial if you are. But if you're not, then you make the adjustments. You go with what God's word says, you kind of work through it, you understand. You call me and say, hey, Harold, you stop in, say, hey, Harold, buddy, I said, well, look at this. And you call somebody else at church say, hey, I'm not sure if I trust Harold, you do this. And, and, and then you adjust, and then you respond. You do it, you take a step of faith. Well, today we want to look at verses 12 through 18, where James continues on this instruction on trials and why we can face them with joy. Why can we face them with confidence in God? So follow along as I read 12 through 18 and uh, then we'll go back and break it down. So blessed is the man who perseveres in a trial. And again, man, person, general, in this day and age, I know we need to, it's for women too. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted. Now, let me explain this, and I may say it later too. But, so this is that word for asmos, right? So it could be temptation, or it could mean trial. I think the New American Standard uses temptation, but other translations use trials. I think trials is a better um, interpretation or way of putting it, because he's pulling from 1 through 11, this idea of trials. But what do you do when your trial is going on and on and on? What if what you want change doesn't change? What if, you, what if a person you want to change doesn't change? What if circumstances that you have don't change? What, if, what are we supposed to do with that? So it's, it's, to me, it makes more sense that you're not tempted, not enticed to sin, but an ongoing trial. So a person who's going through this ongoing trial, let no one say while doing that, that I'm being tempted by God. That God is somehow using this circumstance to hurt me. To try to get me to sin against him. That's, oh, that's working out. For God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived. Don't, don't be deceived by what you might be thinking is true and right, my beloved brother. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow, never changes. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So we see three things flowing out of here, three more things that should give us confidence in the face of of trials and doing life God's way. The first one, that God rewards our perseverance. Secondly, God's not tempting us to sin. And thirdly, God only gives what's good for us. Right? Boom, boom, boom. Three very clear, which we'll look at, takeaways when we get there. So, we are blessed. He says, blessed is the man who perseveres. The word blessed means that uh, have a, uh, being especially favored. It's a privileged 
recipient of favor from God. So how is someone who perseveres under trials blessed? Well, we know from last week, right, about spiritual growth, was it who God, proper perspective of life. But here's three more. The first one is we're going to receive the crown of life. He says it's given to those who are, who are approved. It means to be accepted or acceptable. It's the same word as testing in verse 3. So, which gives us a chance, in other words, to be approved. So there's two aspects to this word. The first aspect is this. When we, when we initially place our faith in Christ, that moment of placing our faith in Christ, we become approved by God. Justified, declared not guilty. At that moment. And at that moment, if we were to accept Christ and die, we'd go to heaven. If we were to accept Christ at that moment and die a week later, we'd go to heaven. If we were to accept Christ at that moment, we would die a year, whatever. We go to heaven, we are approved. Why? Because God removes our sin as Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, so then he gives us his righteousness. The men are learning about this on Thursday nights as we go through Romans. So God gives us his righteousness, therefore we are approved at that moment. If we're truly trusting in Christ and Christ alone for ourselves, boom, approved. But we're still on the earth, right? Our home is heaven. The goal is we want to be in heaven when we die. That's but we're going to live through this life, and then when we die, we're going to go to heaven because we're going to approve. So that's the other aspect, this, this completion, that it's completed, we are approved. We're in heaven. So the question is, is it, is it the initial approval, in that sense, or is it the ultimate approval when we walk into heaven? Well, he talks about the crown of life. So this confirms to us that he's talking about the ultimate approval, that moment we step into heaven. We breathe our last air, we step in. He's talking about this crown. Crown carries the idea of honor. It's given to the, to the athlete who wins the race or wins the competition. Back when they had a wreath and they, they would put it on the athlete's head. They wanted, I wanted the wreath. I want to win. I have a gold medal today. The wreath would die. But anyways, they liked it. It was, it was a, a sign of honor. You've done what needed to be done to win. And so what God wants us to know is that those who are uh, it's, by the way, it's here in Revelation 2, 10, the crown of life is specifically talked about. It's always in reference to trials. And so what God wants us to know is that if we faithfully go through the trials that he allows into our lives, then when we get to heaven, because we're followers of Christ, we've been saved, when we get there, there's going to be a, an honor that he's going to give us. We don't really know what that's going to look like, and maybe... You know, we're going to be walking around with wreaths on their head. I don't know. But we're going to be in heaven because we're Christians. But then there's going to be this other honor that he's going to give us for being faithful in suffering. He's not saying persevere through suffering so you earn yourself heaven. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking to Christians who's already, who are already approved through faith in Christ. He's saying there's something else over above heaven. This honor that he's going to give. And I know it might sound kind of selfish, I guess, to say, well, that's what I want to shoot for that. But it, it can't be selfish in the sense because God sends you for it. And again, you're not doing it to show up where you are, right? When we do life God's way, we're doing it to show up where He is. That should motivate us. That should bring us joy. That should bring us confidence that whatever it is we're going through, I'm going to go through this because besides everything else, when I get to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to honor you. Now, when it comes to trials, moving on, 
There's some good news and some bad news. How many people want to hear the good news first? Yeah, how many people want to hear the bad news first? Okay, a few pessimists, we're going to have to hang on. Right, James did the positive first, the good news first, so we'll get to the bad news uh, eventually. But the good news is this. Now, again, we're talking about, it says tempted, we're saying trials, as you go through trials, that God isn't tempting us to sin. When we go through trials, and no matter, even if they're long-lasting trials, it's not happening because God is trying to get us to sin. Why? Because God is incapable of evil. God is incapable of tempting someone to sin. He wouldn't tempt somebody to sin. God is infinitely good. Everything about his character, infinitely good, infinitely loving, infinitely just. He wouldn't do anything to hurt us. He's holy. Therefore, he can't be tempted by evil, and he can't tempt to sin, and he wouldn't tempt to sin. God allows trials into our lives, not to try to trip us up. He doesn't say, hey, hey, come to faith in Christ, and I'll, I'll free you from the eternity in hell, and I'll free you from the power of sin in your life. And then we come to Christ, and he's like, watch this. <laughs> Put these guys up and make them sin. Doesn't make sense, right? No parent sets their kids up to sin against them. We, we're always, I'm hoping, uh, we're always trying to help our kids be obedient and do what's necessary. And, and we'll talk more about this in 16 through 18, but I'll just say this right now. God the Son put on flesh and died for us. There's no way he's going to try to, he died so that we wouldn't be impacted by sin. Its consequences eternally or here on earth. Why in the world would he then turn around and try to get us to sin? It doesn't make logical sense. So if somebody be thinking that way. I've never met somebody that way, but evidently back in James' day, there's people who think that way. So where does the temptation come from? This is the bad news. You ready on these bad news, people? The, the temptation comes when we are carried away and enticed by our lusts, by our desires. Now, the word lust, in and of itself, is amoral. You know, it is a desire. Some desires, a lot of desires, God gives us. But when we try to fulfill those desires in a non-godly way, then that becomes a negative desire, a forbidden desire. And then I can go into details about different ways, different desires that God has given us, that we try to fulfill our own way, and therefore it becomes forbidden rather than it's good. I'm not going to get into all that. The point is, when our desires, when we want what we want, and we, even if it's good, and we try to do it our way, it becomes forbidden. You, you notice how he doesn't say, here, Satan made me do it. You talk to somebody, and they went to, yeah, well, you know, Satan made me do it. Yeah. Satan was just dumping bad thoughts in my head, and, Challenging thoughts in my head. People come talk to me and, and ask and say that to me. I've got to, you know, Satan, you know, do things. Get that? But, uh, according to God's word, those thoughts are coming from you. My bad thoughts are coming from me. My struggle with sin is not anything Satan's doing to me. I, I've got enough sin in me. I don't need Satan's help. 
And a person who thinks that, yeah, I got that. What if you're saved? I'd be perfect. No, you wouldn't. Because we are sinners at the core of who we are. So we're carried away. It needs to be dragged away with the idea of initial reluctance. You ever been there? You tempted sin? No, I'm not going to do it. Tempted sin? No, I'm not going to do it. You have the thought in your head? No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And all of a sudden, oh, I did it. What am I thinking? Ah, oh, I can't get God. Please forgive me. I can't. And then it starts over again. So it's initial reluctance. I don't want to do it. You're a follower of Christ. You don't. You don't want to do it. And then he says entice. It means to arouse someone's interest in something by clever measures. So I won't ask the question that I asked in the 9 o'clock hour because someone said, no. So I'll just ask this. Everybody familiar with the concept of fishing? I asked the question at 9 o'clock, okay? Who fishes in here? Anybody fishing here? No. <laughs> Hey, I wasn't going to do anyway. So everybody uh, familiar with the concept of fishing? Okay. So what do you do? You, you got your, your reel rod or you got your fly rod, and if you got on the end of it, it's, it's not necessarily a worm. You know, it's not necessarily a minnow. It's something that looks really good, though, to the fish, and it's almost too good to pass up. And if it's too good to pass up, what happens? The fish goes and grabs onto the hook, and it Not for Stan, but everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard stories, you have to ask him. He takes guys out fishing all the time. They can't catch fish, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, fight, fight. Finally, you take it, right? You got to take it home. Not in my house, but you take it home to your fish or to your house and you eat the fish. So our, our flesh entices us, our thoughts tell us when it's good. That's what I need right there. That's going, to, that's going to be good for me. That's going to help. So the battle's in our hearts and our minds. Look what Jeremiah says. The Old Testament prophet. The heart is more deceitful. Let me back up. Take out, I should have done this. Take out the and put mine. You read it as, this is you. I'll read it as me. So when I say my, you go, yeah, we know it. <laughs> my heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. You can understand that. You guys, we've got to nail this down. Our hearts, we place our faith in Christ. Awesome. We have the ability now for the power of the Holy Spirit to say no. But in and of ourselves, we are deceitfully wicked. We will tell ourselves lie after lie after lie after lie if we think it's going to help us accomplish what the sin is. We... Look at Romans uh, Roman 7. Paul talks about this. The guys are going through Romans. This one just jumped out of me. We're past it now. So, but this is what Paul, this is what Paul says. And I'm the greatest Christian who ever walked the earth, I'm going to say. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me. I'm a follower of Christ, so I want to do it. But the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do it. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in, dwells in me. So there's a battle going on. So I find then the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. I'm a follower of Christ. I want to do good. But there's this principle in me that I've got sin in me. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I, I see a different law in my members, 
the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making it. Listen, this is this is a war that we're in. And sometimes we take our battles with sin way too simply. Not that big of a deal. Our own flesh is waging war against our new alive spirit, your faith in Christ, to do life our way, not God's way. Prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, Paul said enough of it. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ the Lord. There's the answer. So that on the one hand, I myself with my mind is serving the law of God. I want to do what God wants. But on the other, my flesh, the law of sin. The good news is Paul goes into Romans chapter 8. We're not going to take time this morning, of course. But Romans chapter 8, he says, hey, listen. Praise be to God. In Jesus Christ, we're not condemned anymore. We've got God the Holy Spirit who empowers us. If our minds are set on the Spirit, that our lives will follow what He wants us to do. He empowers us. He, he gives um, power, strength to our mortal bodies, the sinful body that we live in. And so we have freedom through Christ, but we have to do it God's way through the power of the Holy Spirit using His Word. But He goes back, as you're talking about sin, He says, in fact, James, He says, conceived, once it's been conceived, it means to seize or capture. And so when lust captures us, if we if we grab the hook, it takes us by our lip, we do what we want to do rather than what God wants. We sin. And they just want it to accomplish, when it's completed, when we when we sin, brings forth death. It's talking about unchecked sin. If we keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, we're not checking it, we're not going to God with it, not wrestling it, we're not in the fight. Some people say, well, I keep I keep falling, I keep falling. Yeah, you might. For a time. And some people say, well, you know, how do I know? You're in a fight. You're fight. You're going back to God. You're not running away from me. You're going back. God, forgive me. I'm sorry. God, forgive me. I'm sorry. God, forgive me. I'm sorry. You just keep going back, going back. While you're also spending time in His Word, studying His Word, praying through it, being with your Christian brothers and sisters, talking, you're, you're eating the healthy food. While you're wrestling. Because if it's unchecked, what happens? We don't lose our faith, but we don't lose our salvation, but we, we destroy. We destroy our lives, we destroy other people's lives. We lose the impact for Christ and we lose that, lose that confidence in who God is. Which is why James says in verse 16, do not be deceived. It's a command, it's an addict. Don't be deceived. Don't let yourself believe yourself. It, it means to, to roam from safety. To roam from the truth. Don't think wrongly on this. Don't believe the lies that your heart is telling you. Don't go, yeah, I know better than God on this. I, my, what I'm feeling here, I think, is what I really need to be doing. I, I think it's going to really, this time, I think it's really going to take. This time it's really going to give me what I want. It's not going to happen. We may say, that, does God care? Yes, He cares. Read Scripture. He cares. Would God, will God help? Yes, He'll help. Read Scripture. He'll help. Will I actually have good come from this? Will I actually grow spiritually if I, if I say no to the sin? Yes. Read Scripture. Experience God's work in your life. God's not using our trials in our lives to trip us up. He's not using trials in our lives to get us 
to sin. Because everything that comes from him is a good gift. Every good thing and perfect gift. It, it means everything that he gives us is beneficial for us. It's morally good. It's exactly what we need in any situation. That's what God wants to give us. Through his word, with his wisdom. God always does this. He never changes. He's always, his character never changes. His methods change, but his character never changes. He's always good. He always only gives good. He's not a bait and switch kind of God. He wants us to come to him. He's not going to change his mind on us. And if you're tempted to doubt, if you're tempted to question, is this really the case? James says, well, how about this one? He died for you. God the Son, put on flesh, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died our death in our place. His salvation should be proof enough for us that he's a good God who's going to bring anything and everything into our life, including our trials, that are going to be good for us. He says the exercise of his will. He did this out of the exercise of his own free will. He didn't have to. God is righteous. God is just. God is loving. God is holy. And if, if he wanted to condemn everybody to hell because of their sin, then he is still good and righteous and just and loving. Because it's our sin. But he chose out of his free will to save, to do what was necessary, the only thing that could be done. Him dying in our place. And he brought us forth. It's the same word that comes out of verse 15 about um, the, the lust, connecting to our lust, and it brings forth sin. It's the same thing. It gives birth to sin, conceived, all that. But this is the positive. This is, this is God um, birthing us. This is God giving us spiritual life. It's not something we can do. It's something that God does. He says it comes from the word of truth. And all of God's word is truth, but he's specifically talking about the gospel here. That the gospel, placing our faith in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, making Christ our Savior and our Lord, that's the word of truth. And that's what births us. That take that step of humility and, and faith, asking God to forgive us of our sins. He says to the Jewish Christians, first fruits would be a first fruits among his creatures. First fruits has this idea, this is the first of the harvest. There's more to come. But here you are. Jewish Christians of the first century, 48 AD, you are the first fruits. You're the first ones coming to Christ. There's going to be more coming, but you're the first. Now the cool thing is that we are the more to come. We're the ones, we're the rest of the harvest, and there's more harvest to be done. We still have a job ahead of us, just like the first century Christians do. Same people come to Christ. So true faith in Christ, a faith that works, has joy. We're going to be shifting our focus next week. If you're reading through James, you'll know where we're going. So I hope you're reading through James. But right now, these verses say that we have this joy, we have this confidence in God during trials. Because we know, like the other thing we talked about last week, that ultimately we're going to be rewarded by God. That we know God is not tempting us to sin. He's not trying to do this for bad reasons. And then we know that God only gives us what's good for us. 
And the greatest example is that he gave himself to us. There's no better good than that. So as the band comes forward, we got uh, some takeaways, one per point. How's that? Takeaways one per point. First one is this. What will it be like when you see Jesus face to face? You know, a lot of people talk about, man, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to see my mom. I can see my dad. I see my aunt, my uncle, my friends, brothers, sister, Awesome. That's great. I'm looking forward to today to see my mom. That's the in October. Looking forward to that. Well, man, I hope when we first think about heaven, we think about that. We're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see the one who died on our place face to face. The one we've been trusting in through our trials, all through our lives, we, we've got to know and understand and, and, and trust, but now we're going to see him, we're going to hold him, hug him, thank him, face to face. And, and I hope that when we do that, that he can also say to us, well done. In place on our heads, or whatever this monitor is going to look like, because we faithfully met our trials. Secondly, do you know how to fight back against your desires and tempt you to sin? Jesus used scripture against Satan. He didn't say, yeah, you're dying. No, 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 they got some tools, some things, some reminders, some helpful things I think I hope will help uh, with that. And the last one is this. Have you taken time to thank God for all the good things He's given you, including your trials? Do you take time regularly? I try to do it in the mornings, sitting on my back porch, now that it's warm around, and just thanking God. Man, thank you for the house you gave us, the property we have, the garage that I got. More than that, thank you for my family, thank you for my wife, kids. Thank you for my trials. Thank you for putting things in my life that caused me to come back to you because I would wander away from you. If life was good, I'd wander away. Not easy to do, you guys. It's not easy. But the more you do it, the more you see God at work, the easier it becomes. The more joy and confidence in God that you you go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning, the chance again to look into your word. Very practical, good stuff. We would just do it. Lord, help us to do it. Help us remind us. And when we're struggling to just step in there and do things in our lives in order for us to do it, whatever it might be. Father, I pray that you continue to work in our lives and be so gracious and loving to us. You want us to grow closer in relationship with you to trust you more. Help us to be partner in that and to trust you. We'll be giving you the honor and glory for all you do in Christ. Go ahead and stand and close up.